I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liskov. And with us today is Ashley Lyle, past future guest. She'll be on many times, I'm sure. I also was <laughs> realizing that the episode that we recorded, um, which I don't want to I don't want to say what it is in case it hasn't been released yet, that we just did, might yeah. come out like literally next to this one. So it might be like the week Ooh. of Ashley Lyle on podcast like it's 1999. So anyway. I I can't wait to be played out on your podcast. Just full overexposure. I want I want your guests to just get really tired of me all at once. <laughs> and your guests, your listeners, see if I'm okay, terrible. We can do that. Then really, I'm really, uh, I'm just going to alienate um, people today. That's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Ashley uh, and her husband and uh, co-writer Bart have been on the originals and Narcos uh, as well as Dispatches from Elsewhere. Um, so this week we're talking about episode 206, The Cheating Curve. But before we talk about this episode, I want to kind of talk with you about Sex and the City from sort of a high altitude a little bit and how did you watch this in 99? Was it something I- that you, you did or did not? I did not watch a 99 and 99 I was in college. So I wasn't watching much of anything because I didn't have TV. Um, and we didn't have streaming yet, which is, right. Oh God, that's the, the olden times. Yeah, no, I had one of those. Um, I did have a TV actually. I had one of those, um, little TVs with a built-in VCR mm-hmm. and I had rabbit ears and I could 
basically get like two channels. I vaguely remember watching that 70s show. I got kind of into that and for some reason could pick it up. But anything on cable, I was I was not watching in the moment. But so you you went to college in New York. I did. Um, and so did you do you I guess you watched the show what in your like mid early 20s is that sort of when you watched it? Early 20s and it was it was really formative because I I just graduated from college and then I moved all the way from Morningside Heights down to Murray Hill, which is a a terrible place um, that I do not recommend. (laughs) And like Murray Hill is just the, it's just the nothing of Manhattan. It's just the, like, it's the, I'm trying to think of like the, the LA equivalent, just a neighborhood where you're like, who cares? Like who cares about this? Nobody. It's filled with people who, like me at the time it's filled with like early 20 somethings there are a lot of girls who worked in like PR for some reason they all kind of and I, I ended up in Murray Hill because of two friends of mine who I moved into an apartment with I had I had my druthers I would have lived in a different part of the city but they they were they were adamant um, and it was it was a weird time in my life because they also you know they had more money than I did I was broke all the fucking time I was working as an editorial assistant uh-huh. and they, they had, you know, their parents were helping them. And so I, I was, um, they, we had to have a doorman building that was like really important. And so I was, I was, uh, always trying to make the rent. But anyway, I do remember watching sex. Dark in the City. time for you. It was a dark time. There was a lot of like paying for things with change that I found, like scrounging oh. through the couch and yeah. things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. And it was very, um, there's that episode of friends where like, the the rich friends and the poor friends. I don't know if you remember that episode and they're trying to order like soup. That was just me all the time. <laughs> but I um I do remember also there was a summer after, you know, I basically lived there only for one year. It, it's sort of outsized in my memory mm-hmm. now because it was such a formative year. But I had graduated from college. I worked for a year as an editorial assistant for um, the Book of the Month Club. So I like to say editorial assistant and that I worked in publishing, but like dubious. And um, <laughs> we can put that in your uh, in your in your blurb. You should when we introduce you should. you next time. You worked in publishing. Uh, yeah. Illustrious, illustrious publishing um, executive, magnate, assistant to the Equestrian Club, Book of the Month Club. Yeah, um, but anyway, I then uh-huh. got into grad school for for film, which is then what I kind of went on to do with the rest of my life. And so then i I had this period where I was still working. I knew I was going to leave my job. I gave them way too much notice. Um, which really just screwed me out of two months of a promotion and like that tiny, tiny incremental pay raise is trying to do the right thing. It's like, you guys need to know I'm going to be leaving. That was the wrong move. Um, <laughs> this is the same company that gave us the Turkey check. Uh, so which that spoiler, if the other episode spoiler has for, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah. And so the then my check. roommates, the Turkey check, and then my roommates ended up moving out because everyone, I think, they went to grad school. I was going to be moving again, but they kind of, everyone paid rent, but then ended up getting new apartments. Um, they kind of moved. And so I was alone in this apartment, this weird apartment where there was no sunlight because we did the classic New York thing where we put up a temp wall to make a new bedroom in the, 
in the living room, which is a very common thing in New York. There's companies that come in and you're like, they were, they're like, where do you want a wall? And you're like, mm-hmm. there, you know, cut the living room into pieces. And so <laughs> I would sit in this dark living room by myself. I would order a whole pizza from a place called Pizza 33 on 33rd Street. Great margarita pizza. Don't know if it still exists. And I would sit and eat a whole pizza and watch Sex in the City. This was, I would rent it from like Blockbuster <laughs> And this is what my life was in about oh. the year 2002. This would, no, 2002, 2003. So, um, so yeah. And I mean, I was living in New York. I was going out. I've been to a bunch of the places that, that pop up even can earlier. I, can I just say though, that, that, yeah. that how you watch this show feels like the way this show should be watched. It is. I think there's like an instruction manual somewhere and there's, they have, they include the phone number for pizza 33. They insist you have to get a whole pizza for yourself. And then you've got to sit and eat it and watch this show. It really, I mean, I, I know it sounds like I'm kind of making a joke, but truthfully, it's just like, I think about how many, and I, I don't know if you were necessarily single at the time that you were watching it, but I imagine so many people watch this show as I mean it's 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 funny but it it's I guess a little bit informative or can be if nothing else it's just sort of a show that makes you reevaluate your relationships for good or for bad and I yes. think that that's an interesting component of the show. Yes. And I guess what's interesting to me is full disclosure mm-hmm. I I was not single. I've basically okay. almost never been single. In my entire now you're adult just life. bragging. Now you're just I, bragging, Ashley. I, I know it sounds like that. It's just <laughs> a personality quirk. I am a just serial monogamous to the highest order. And I mean, um, I, you don't need to be single, obviously, to enjoy the no, show and no. to know like what dating is like. But of you know, course, yeah. Um, and and to me, it was sort of voyeuristic because I I never really dated the way the women on the oh, show date. So I, I thought. Has. No, no, it is an extreme sport, Um, which I mean, there's a great episode later on in the series called Are We Sluts that really kind Mm -hmm. of digs Mm -hmm. in. Um, This episode doesn't dig into much of anything, which I'm sure we're about to talk about. We will talk about that. Um, So I just sort of wanted to get your your thoughts a little bit on, you know, the show as a whole and Uh and I I guess to some degree uh, the subsequent films, which I try to pretend don't exist. Ooh, yeah. but the the series, I think, and and one of the reasons that I think this season is an interesting season to dig into, other than the fact that it it aired in ninety nine, is you really can start to see the show evolving. Oh, yeah. um, it's trying to dig into slightly um, deeper terrain. It doesn't get into sort of the longer relationships until season three and onward, where obviously you have Aiden, you have uh, Trey. Trey, you've yeah. you've you know all, all the other sort of more substantive relationships, but to sort of take it as a snapshot in this season and and maybe specifically this episode, you're seeing sort of a show that's being pulled in a lot of directions. And as TV writers, I'm sure it will lead to an interesting conversation if not a great episode of television. Like I think that it's, you know, 
it's just I'll, I'll give a brief synopsis of this episode just uh, for the people who haven't seen it. Carrie starts to quote unquote officially date Mr. Big again. Miranda dates a guy who insists on watching porn while they have sex. Fed up with cheating men, Charlotte spends time with her new friends, the quote unquote power lesbians. And Samantha starts dating her gym instructor who quote unquote brands her with a lightning bolt. The <laughs> cheating curve aired on July 11th, 1999. It was written by Darren Starr and directed by John David Coles. Um, Vulture gave it uh, the 84th spot out of 96 uh, <laughs> says plenty of memorable moments uh, real here Charlotte hanging out with power lesbians until they eject her from their clique by saying and I, I, I honestly one of the words in this sentence I really don't like saying but uh, if you're not going to eat <laughs> pussy you're not a dyke is just a horrible thing to say on any level which is um, the word you don't like saying I feel like dyke is, is a bad it has a bad connotation that feels a little bit, I don't know. It's, there's a, there's a bit of a darkness to that term, but maybe there, I'm wrong. there is. And I mean, I think it's a word that the lesbian community has really em- embraced, but it's, it's a word that does feel a little mm-hmm. troubling to say out loud if you're not part of that community. And I just made you say it twice. It, so it also fun. just feels like, you did just make me say it twice. Uh, I, I think that it's also, and we'll talk about this when we get to it in the episode, but it's just, it's this whole storyline we need to unpack. But that's, that's we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it's, that in a second. Yeah. Um, Samantha's it's, trainer slash lover shaving her pubic hair into the shape of a lightning bolt and Carrie's stuck diaphragm being rescued by Samantha. It doesn't come together for the emotional impact of Sex and the City's Best, which I would agree. Yeah. Uh, Elle Magazine put it as 88 as well. They they liked it even less. Um I want to kind of just take a second here to, and 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 I know that I've said this on previous episodes, and I I want to underline this again that this is not a shot at Darren Star. He did write this episode, mm-hmm. um, and Darren Star's episodes tend to be broader. They tend to be more sitcommy than the ones that are written by the other writers on the show, um, which comes back to sort of this tonal push and pull that the show is going through prior to Michael Patrick King taking over the show running duties. Uh, in season three for the most part. Um, right. And I don't know if you feel the same, but this episode is kind of wildly all over the place. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily Darren Star's fault, perhaps, but it just feels like the storylines don't all necessarily speak to each other. Yeah. I, I feel like this is one of those episodes that has all the the foibles of Sex in the City without mm-hmm. all of the strengths without any of the strengths really (laughs) so it's not it's not a great one and yeah you know i i am a fan of darren star generally speaking i i really enjoy younger Mm -hmm. um i think that when he's working at his um when he when he's doing what he does best he does it really well he makes things fun and there's sort of a, a fizziness to his his work that I really enjoy, um, but this episode is a bit of a dud. It's not even a mess. It's just kind of a dud. And I think one of the weirder parts of it is, you know, obviously the show gets really into thematics. You know, there's we've got Carrie's voiceover, which is often very cringy, occasionally insightful, often cringy, and you know, this one is sort of doesn't hang together logically you know they they try to sort of postulate about this concept of the cheating curve which i don't even think i could recreate for you right now because it 
made almost no sense to me. Like they, they're trying to get at a couple different things. So there's sort of this moral relativism idea that cheating first, they do this, like if a tree falls in the forest analogy, which makes almost no sense. Like if you don't get caught, did you cheat? The answer is very much. Yes. Like, why is that a question? <laughs> yeah. That was Samantha being I like, mean, well, you know, yeah. if you don't get caught, it's like, uh, if no one catches you murdering someone, are you really a killer? Yes. You killed someone like this is not <laughs> up for debate. So that part is weird. And then they, I feel like they almost, are aware that that made no sense and it just yeah. doesn't hold together. So then they try this, what could have been an interesting idea, which is, I think what they were hinting at is cheating is, is really a part of the expectations of both partners in a couple, but like, they, they're not actually saying that like that actually sort of makes sense. You know, everyone defines the terms of their own relationship and they're obviously, you know, today we there's so much more in the sort of, the cultural consciousness about, you know, open relationships and polyamory and all sorts of things for this idea of what is cheating, it's really defined by the two persons in a relationship could be an interesting thought. They don't get there. They don't get close to there. I don't. Well, it's, I think that I a hundred percent agree. I, I, there's a part of me that feels like the episode's really more about like lying to yourself because they're right. all lying to themselves in their storylines. And it's, it's about sort of, it's less about cheating to your point and more right. about being honest and truthful right. about what you want from a relationship and what you, what you want, period. Yes. And I mean, there's something, there's a good moment. There's one good moment that, that gets to what I think is really good about the show. And it's funny because I remember at one point, uh, fairly early on when Bart and I were dating, I, I, you know, took the bold stance that, that Sex in the City is a good show. And he was like, you know, I think he had the impression that I, a lot of guys at the time seemed to have, which was like, oh, that show with the puns and the sex talk. And like, you know, it was just sort of not seen as a particularly serious or quality show, I think, particularly by sort of guys who weren't familiar with it. And um, so I, I made him watch. I didn't make him watch. I, I suggested and then he did it. Uh some of I think it what is it season four or five the burger season? It's four. It's four. Oh wait, sorry, no, it's it's uh it's six. It's six. It's it's not. Is it six? No. She meets him at the end of five. She meets him at the end of five, and they date at the top of six. Oh well, at any rate, I had him watch. I think maybe we watched like seasons four and five, and he was like, "Oh, this show is actually really good at what it mm -hmm. does." And it gets really good um, yep, at a I certain agree. point. But yeah, this this episode, meh. This episode, I mean, this episode is not is not good. And I'm, I'm not going to ride for it. Um, I'll say this, though. That, that there are, to your point, there's a couple moments, there's a couple storylines, maybe, that sort of oh. get... Yes, please. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, I drifted away from my point and never went <laughs> back to it. The, the moment I thought was really good was towards the end of the episode when they're about to go out to the movie. You know, we just went through the, the diaphragm thing, which is a weird, it's weird that people point that out like a moment, like, oh my God, Samantha has to help carry with her diaphragm. It's a nothing moment. Like, it's a joke for Can a second. Can I ask second, a question like, about that though? Because I, yeah. as a man, and yeah. forgive me because I don't yeah. know these things. Okay. Is that something that your girlfriend can help you with? Or is it something you need a doctor to help you with? I suppose in theory, I will also admit that <laughs> that maybe generationally diaphragms 
passed me by. I don't think I know <laughs> anyone who's ever used a diaphragm, right. Right. Um, which also speaks to the fact that, you know, these women, I mean, they seemed like such women to me at the time when I was watching it. Like I was 22, I still felt like a kid and they felt so grown up to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think at the time I might've even been confused. Like I generally know what a <laughs> diaphragm is and what it does, but like the specifics of how it operates. But I believe- I it, mean, I, it, I, it's, my, I guess my point is, it's significantly inside a woman to the point where I'm just like, you know, it's up in there, but I mean, you know, if we want to get technical about female anatomy and the vagina, let's let's do it. Why not? Let's do it. Let's dig in. I, my understanding (laughs) is that the vaginal canal, which, you know, can Mm -hmm. expand or kind of contract Contract. according to sexual uh, arousal is really only in the sort of like three to five inch, you know, it's, it's on a normal day, you know, just nothing really happening. It's not that cavernous on a normal day, just a a regular, just a regular everyday vaginal canal situation. I I believe that, you know, and I I know the diaphragm sort of, I think sits up against the cervix. I think Mm -hmm. you, you could, what I'm unclear on is why Samantha could help if Carrie could not. This is my question. Yes. Yeah, it seems a little bit of a stretch to me, but like honestly, I've I've never I can't throw stones because I've well, never been is, there. I I will also say I think that we can both agree, and we've both been in these situations in writers' rooms where it's like the the end point is we need her to have to tell her friends about big, and the yes. way she's forced into it is through this diaphragm diversion. Um, yes. So it, it gets the job done in terms it of from plotting, but it does perhaps logically. A yeah. little bit questionable. <laughs> right. But then I really like the moment when they're walking. It looked like they were in Times Square. It looked like Times Square, yeah. Like, why on earth are they <laughs> seeing a movie in Times Square? That makes absolutely no sense. Um, but sure, yeah. okay. You know, they yeah. it's fine. And uh, yeah, it, it, when she stops, the, the actual sort of frustration on their part, and the I think that... Um, Sarah Jessica Parker plays the defensiveness um, and the hurt really, really well. It's a really real moment in a generally very broad episode that gives you almost nothing emotional otherwise, but that's a nice moment. I I, I agree. Uh, it is a great moment. Um, <clears throat> it's a great moment as well, because I think the show is at its best when all four of the female characters are clearly defined. You understand mm-hmm. their perspectives on the thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't hurt their character. Sometimes they yes. can get into caricature territory, yes. most specifically with uh, Samantha and Charlotte. But yes. in that scene, each of them have their own reason for her not to date big. They're all logical reasons and they all speak to character. So like, yes. it's just a really, to your point, it's a good scene. Um, I, you know, I didn't, as much as it feels like treading water, I didn't dislike the Carrie big stuff. I didn't dislike her withholding the information from her friends and how much it hurts her to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't get us anywhere because by the end of the episode, we haven't learned anything. They haven't grown. They haven't changed. um, And the the relationship hasn't been really moved forward in any way. (laughs) But from its essence and what it's trying to say or trying to feel, I didn't, it didn't bother me that much. Um, I'm just going to kind of walk through each of the storylines because it's just the easiest way to kind of do this. But um, Samantha's storyline is, is, 
pretty stupid. She basically dates a trainer um, who brands her by shaving her pubic hair into a lightning bolt, which um, time consuming. Like the amount of time it would take to do it in the shower. Time consuming, messy. Also, I I definitely very stupid. Well, also, you know, there's this moment. It's like such a sex in the city moment. He's shaving her leg and then he goes up and, you know, it's a sort of uh, mid, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a waist up or I guess neck up shot of Samantha. We didn't see her. Her boobies, but um, <laughs> but she gets this like really like she does this ah uh, very Samantha look like somehow yep. she's just so turned on by someone shaving her pubic hair like somehow this is like very pleasurable and I was just like what is happening that is just nonsense. And, it's also like. Yeah. This is the first time Samantha has. I refuse to believe this is a first for her in terms of somebody like you know, I, shaving her in some way. I was confused too, but yeah, the, I guess it made me question the, the timeline of personal grooming <laughs> in, in our country because Correct. yeah, the, it was shocking to me that to see this idea that, you know, shaving was somehow, you know, a little bit exotic mm-hmm. um, because I mean, by the time I was watching this, I was, you know, about a year later, I was living in an apartment where there was a, a, waxing salon across the street i mean i was just gonna say like brazilian feels like a thing way before this i you know and i guess i don't know 99 i was in college it wasn't really on my radar but so maybe (laughs) this was maybe this revolution occurred my back between 99 and the early 2000s but it's just it's a weird conversation that she has with miranda about it where it's it just it's like it blew her mind like it's this whole and and i guess to our point here Perhaps at the time it was a bigger deal. I don't know. I it, it might have it must have been might have been I don't know. It's just it's a boring story. I mean Samantha more than any other character kind of gets the short shrift for a lot of the series. You know she's used as the shocking comic relief, and it's only sort of in later start to get into it with Richard, mm-hmm. and then yeah. ultimately obviously with Smith. Um, yeah. Smith. You know, she gets some some more depth to her storyline. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she's just the. Well, it's, know. it's interesting because you know, obviously, I watched season one before this, leading into this. Um, I, I would argue they still haven't landed on Samantha's character yet. Like yeah. she's still a little bit. The show starts with her being not nearly as shocking, not nearly as audacious as she as she ultimately starts to become. They really kind of start to, at the very least, land on her. Um, what makes her stand out more in these four leads. Um, And then to your point in season, basically season four, when she meets Richard, there's, there's a lot more depth added to her and and, and it it grows from there. But, but this episode in particular, you know, she's shaved. And then at the end, she's in a sauna and another woman also has her pubic hair shaved like a lightning bolt. And I, it's a dumb button because it's clear that Samantha doesn't care about him cheating. Like cheating clearly isn't a big deal for her. So no. what was the fucking point of this whole storyline? Yeah, I don't think there was one. So <laughs> probably important to get that out of the way. I mean, I think, you know, it, again, Samantha could be very arch as a character yes. and really kind of cliched at mm-hmm. times. And, you know, they just, they just wanted to do something about, 
pubic hair. And that's all that it feels like we got out of that. And I agree. I agree. It's disappointing, you know, but it's not as disappointing to me as the Miranda storyline because Miranda, you know, Miranda's at least Samantha's storyline, while sort of a a meh, nothing storyline, is in keeping with the kinds of storylines that Samantha would get. And it's nothing about it kind of contradicts her character. As you said, you know, she's just, she's very kind of sexually voracious. She goes for it. She's Mm -hmm. into this trainer. They have sex. He shaves her pubic hair and it turns out he's doing this to everyone. Okay, fine. Whereas Miranda's storyline is more disappointing because it's so, it just, it doesn't feel like her character would put up with that shit. And especially coming off of, you know, this is only episode six. I, I rewatched the first couple to kind of reorient myself. Mm-hmm. And while it's not the strongest start to the season, Miranda has, I think, one of the better storylines in the first episode of season two <laughs> when she freaks out at them and she says, why the fuck are we talking about men all the time? And it's yeah. a great fundamental kind of question about the series. It really hones in on that contradiction that this is a show for women you know, uh, but it so focuses on romantic entanglements, but that maybe that's okay. That it's not, we shouldn't be judged for caring about relationships and caring about finding someone and caring about having love in our lives. And that it is about the friendship and about these women and their sort of pursuit of that. And so that's, that's so Miranda. And then for her to have an entire storyline where this like weird, losery, annoying, film snob guy who's also not particularly attractive and it is really a bummer when you look at Miranda's like you know herd of men over the course of the show um and the you know okay he's he loves movies and he also loves movies when it comes to sex and needs to watch porn and it's just like what's what are we doing here like and the idea that they're tying it to this idea of cheating like he's cheating on her and just like who cares who fucking cares about this it is, it is, I, I fully agree with you that it is not a good storyline um, in terms of Miranda's character. You know, in the previous yeah. episode, you have, I actually really liked and it spoke perhaps too loudly to me when, when Miranda has a panic attack um, and sort of dealing with being single, buying a new apartment and, and how she deals with the anxieties of these things. Um, and that, and, and it comes out of the episode with her empowered by writing single down in this contract that she needs to write it down for, for her mortgage or whatever. And, 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 and they do a really good job of having her go through this darkness and come out on the other side stronger for it. And yes. then for this episode to essentially disempower her again to a certain degree. I mean, at a certain point, she stands up for herself at the end of the episode, but. To your point, it takes far too long. The guy seems like a tool to begin with. I mean, his whole rant about narrative film versus documentary using the Shoah versus Schindler's List. And I was just like, dude, what are we even talking about here? And yeah. then he takes her back to his place. They start to have sex. He, he needs to have the porn on. Um, it's it's absurd. Um, and then Miranda has a conversation with Carrie. She bumps into her in the middle of the street um, right. when Carrie's off having sex with Big and not telling anybody. And they have this sort of very oddly stilted conversation in the middle of the street where it's like, which feels like one of their coffee shop conversations that they just kind of felt like they had to jam it into this situation. Right. And 
then Miranda's like tells her about this guy and how he needs to have porn on all the time. And she's like, maybe I'm just overthinking things. I'm just like, you're not overthinking things. Like yeah. you, you should, he gets one shot at this before you're like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, this is not a, a real thing. Yeah. And it's, it's what's, so, what's so strange is that it's not a bad storyline in theory. The mm-hmm. idea, you know, of a guy who is take who's sort of addicted to porn, who needs mm-hmm. it to function sexually, who and and the sort of insecurity that would come with that feels yeah. like it could be an interesting juicy storyline it's just painted in such insanely broad strokes and they don't dig into anything about that like it's just that's full stop the story like they don't explore it they just say it as a thing and then it's like some slapstick about it it almost felt like an excuse to put porn on the screen to some extent. Yeah, I, I, I can't I can't disagree with that. I will say this though. I did laugh a little bit at so she says to him at the end, it's mere the porn. And he says, But I've only known you for a couple weeks. I've known them for years. Years. Which is kind of a funny <laughs> it's line. It's a funny line. Yeah. But also it's like <laughs> what human man yeah. would say that out loud to another like it's just it, it was yeah. just too silly. Um, it's it makes me think about the fact, and I'm not sure if you've heard this or not, but apparently, and I, I mean, I, I think that this is probably true to an extent, but in theory, or what I've read is that in the writer's room of Sex in the City, you weren't allowed to pitch a guy or a dating situation if it hadn't happened to you or someone you knew. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's a version of this where there is a guy who can't perform unless there's porn on. I'm sure that's a thing. Right. Um, but it feels like they had the button, they had the line that we just said, and then they just went backwards from there. And they were right. just like, and, and it, it just doesn't feel fleshed out. He doesn't feel like a real person. And to be fair, most of the guys are punchlines for the first two seasons when it comes to the dating escapades. Like, I get it. Yeah. Um, but this is a weaker one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, I didn't mind nearly as much. And it was, I think, maybe the second episode where Miranda dates the the dirty talking dermatologist, and you know the punchline of that, like it, it worked. Okay, he <laughs> likes to talk dirty. She's not sure about it. Doesn't really know how to engage. Mm-hmm. And and I thought it was, you know, it was a little broad how they played her going, uh huh, sure, okay, <laughs> but but then yeah. there was something nice, like it was pretty funny that you know then she does get into it she kind of harnesses this newfound power to talk dirty and then she stumbles on as she puts it the one thing she's not allowed to say which is you love it when I slip a finger up your ass and then he freaks out and like that's a funny punchline and that that felt in character like she's a little bit less you know the Samantha would have had no problem talking dirty all day long Miranda wasn't sure about it it wasn't in her nature and I I like storylines where Miranda kind of breaks out of her shell a little bit and so that that to me it's you know still just sort of an inconsequential sex story but it it worked a lot better than this one which just felt less realistic and less interesting it, it's also funny too because that makes me think about. I think it's in season three when Samantha dates this guy who, who talks baby talk in bed, and Samantha's <laughs> like, "That's that's a line that's that I can't cross." <laughs> um, yeah. And then so now we have um, the Charlotte storyline, which I feel like we need to unpack. Um, I want to start by saying that I actually really do like 
the art world storylines that they used mm-hmm. to do on the show with Charlotte. Um, I think they handled the New York art world in a, in a very kind of interesting light touch that I liked. It gave it mm-hmm. um, just, there, there aren't a lot of shows that deal with it quite frankly. Yeah. So I like how they dealt with that. Agreed. Um, also, yeah, please. very, very accurate. In, in at least my somewhat limited experience, you know, mm-hmm. I, I lived in New York for sure 10 years and I, at the time that I was sort of watching this, I was dating someone who worked, who um, was an artist and he, he worked as an art handler at a couple of big um, galleries. The, oh God, I'm trying to think, remember the name. I want to say Gagosian Gallery might've been one of them, but this is unimportant. Sure. Um, and, and art <laughs> handler sounds really kind of fancy and it's really just like a sort of semi-glorified construction job. It was, you know, mm-hmm. I knew a bunch of guys who kind of wanted to be artists, respiring artists. And this was sort of a gig that kind of had a foot in the door element. So I remember because of that, getting to go to a few openings um, there was one, it was David LaChapelle, which was really fun. Oh, it cool. was like that's all cool. the characters that you would sure. imagine. So you're in Soho, you know, you, you're on the list. There's all these kind of <laughs> pseudo art celebrities around and, and like, they kind of nail what those things feel like. Like it was, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's accurate. Um, but I also just feel like it also just, it gives a, a layer of depth to Charlotte mm-hmm. um, that, sh- that that I think is really smart because otherwise she could feel very vapid, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so they're at, a, at an art show at the top of the episode, a quote-unquote lesbian art show, mm-hmm. and uh, where we then meet a group of power lesbians that... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Honestly, the the broadness of like they walk like a like a school of fish essentially, <laughs> and like it's just it's it's very sort of like odd in the way that they depict it. It's broad. It's a broad episode. We 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 know that it's a broad episode, right? Um, and Charlotte finds herself. I don't want to say tempted by tempted by everything in the world of these power lesbians outside of the sexual component of it. She knows that she's straight and she knows that she um, isn't interested in these women uh, romantically, but she loves everything about their world. Um, And it starts to kind of eat away at her a little bit. And, and uh, there's, there's actually a line that I just want to highlight real quick, which I think feeds into the storyline as well, where um, they're all chatting about like, 
cheating. And Carrie says that women cheat too. And Charlotte says it's different because women aren't controlled by testosterone. They're based on emotions. And Charlotte says there's a little voice in her head that's always saying mate for life. And then Samantha has a line that I literally should like paint on my wall, which is, sweetheart, (laughs) you can't go listening to every little fucking voice that runs through your head. It'll drive you nuts. Um, And and which I think we can all agree is uh, very true in a myriad of ways. Um, but I think that that kind of feeds into Charlotte here, which is that she doesn't think she's quote unquote cheating. She's lying to herself that she thinks she can kind of be a part of this universe with these power lesbians, even though she's not a lesbian. Um, right. Which in theory, like again, if this if this storyline was written on a board, I wouldn't take issue with it necessarily. I think that there's some interesting notions there of – what draws you towards social, certain social circles and certain people and, and, and why you're drawn to them and that we shouldn't necessarily draw lines in the sand when it comes to sexuality if you want to hang out with a person. Yeah. That being said, they don't do that. They execute no. this very broadly in a way that I find kind of icky. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think at a fundamental level, this could be a really interesting story. You know, there's something about the the tourism of of it that um that i think is really interesting and relevant i mean you know it's a cliche it's a cliche for women to say oh men are awful my life would be so much easier if i was a lesbian which is a you know kind of fundamentally stupid and insensitive thing to say on a lot of levels because obviously sexuality is not a choice and Mm -hmm. you know that also overly simplifies you know what it's like to to be gay and this idea that women in relationships with other women don't have any sort of emotional drama that it's like it's just it's a silly thing to say on so many different levels but there's something interesting about you know her being drawn in by this group of incredibly empowered professional women who aren't, you know, it kind of speaks a little bit to that, that episode 201, which is, you know, Miranda saying, why are we so focused on men all the fucking time? Yeah. And, you know, there's also something interesting to me while it's again, done, you know, painted with a really broad brush of these, these lesbians saying, Hey, kind of fuck off. Like you don't get to be a tourist in our group, like we, we are lesbians. We're not here to give you a sense of comfort and, you know, to essentially uncomplicate your life with men. And if they had done that in a, in a more subtle or nuanced way, I think it could have been a really powerful story. Um, and, and they just don't quite get there, but they kind of edge up against it. So, so there's that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, one of my, I agree with everything you're saying that, that I think that, you know, dial back a little bit with a little bit more nuance. I mean, I, again, you know, Darren Starr is, is a, um, I don't, I don't want to say this sounds bad, but like there's a, there is a superficiality to a lot of his work, right? Which is that he mm-hmm. wants to tell a funny story and he wants to kind of get one inch deep so that like there's something there, but like he doesn't always maybe fully get there. Yeah. And Michael yeah. Patrick King is much more about the depth of a storyline than it is the the broad, the breadth of it, that is. Right. Um, and I, you know, I felt a little bit for Charlotte at the end of this episode where this, you know, the the I guess the 
the most powerful of the power lesbians <laughs> says to her, like, basically, fuck off. I'm not here to help you work your way through your, you know, your, your straight relationships. But what Charlotte says prior to being knocked down, I, I think is a heartfelt sentiment. You know, yeah. she really does love hanging out with these women. Earlier in the episode, you, she goes drinking with them and dancing with them. And she, she's having a really wonderful time, probably mm-hmm. because the weight of of expectations isn't there, right? She doesn't have to, yeah. she's not worrying about, you know, whatever. Um, so I kind of fell for her a little bit. I just thought it was, it didn't need to be as cutting as it was. And because it was so cutting, it hurts the storyline. Like, I, I think that that power lesbian could have very well said to her, like, I'm sorry, but like, this isn't our thing. Like, we're not here yeah. to help you. Like, right. and, and there could have been a softness in it and, an, and an, a, an emotion to it as opposed to this just shittiness that I just, I don't know, it didn't work. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, it's funny because, uh, again, sort of around this period of my life, um, I, you know, I was friends with a number of gay women and uh, one of my friends in particular, there was a, a bar on the Lower East Side called, um, in like Alphabet City called Doc Holidays and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of a dive bar and and Monday night was known as, and here's that word again, but this is what everyone referred to it as, was Dyke Night at Doc Holidays. And so I would go with, with my friend uh, a bunch of times and it's funny because I, I always, I, I sort of had a Charlotte reaction. I was like, oh my God, all these like really cool badass women and it was definitely less sort of like career you know the the women in this episode feel like they're all kind of in finance or you know they they're wealthy etc um a lot of a lot of uh resources this was definitely more of like a, a younger kind of punk rock scene i would get i would kind of put it that way i mean that sounds lame but i don't know how else to describe it um and i just I remember at one point, because I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being around everybody. It was really fun. Um, and at one point, but, you know, I also I said to Kara, uh, uh, a friend of mine who was there with me, uh, I said, why is it that no one ever hits on me? Like, I got a little bit offended. I was like, I, no one is ever <laughs> flirting with me. And uh, one one of these girls said to me, like, you're just so fucking straight. Like, we all know it. <laughs> Like, why would we, why would we do that? And it's like, oh, that's, that's a fair point. Um, so I had sort of like a variation, I guess, on, on the Charlotte experience, but. Um, but also, wouldn't you think that these lesbians in this episode would think the same thing about Charlotte? Like Charlotte yes. is so straight. Charlotte is so aggressively <laughs> straight, but, and that's another thing that they don't really dig into. I mean, like I, I have a lot of gay friends and there are people who, you know, for what you know, because it's a challenge, or because you know, in the way that many people, gay or straight, like like what's not good for them, and are pursuing things that are not particularly right. healthy. You know, there are there are gay people who you know are attracted to straight people, and that's something that they could have explored to, but they chose not to. And yeah, so it's like unclear. It, they play it as though these women are confused, or think that Charlotte is gay, which she is very clearly not. Not. And yeah, it's just another case of them, a storyline that could have worked had it, it could, they could have worked a lot better if it had been handled with just a little more nuance. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those things where I was watching it thinking to myself, I just wish that they had done this episode in season four. You know, I think in season yeah. four, when perhaps Charlotte was in between, you know, 
her two bouts with Trey, you know, what, whatever it is, I think that it just, it, it would have been handled with a lighter touch and it would have just been done a little bit more interestingly. Um, mm-hmm. But again, this is all a symptom, I think, of the show finding its sea legs, figuring out its voice, figuring out what it wants to be doing with these characters. And, and you know, so the, the episode resolves itself ultimately where Carrie goes out with Big and asks him if they are officially seeing each other like a, a high schooler. Like it's middle school. Yeah. <laughs> Check a box. Yes or no. <laughs> Do you like me? Yes or no. Um, and uh, in classic fucking big form, everything is so annoyingly cagey and bantery. Like you can't fucking answer a question. Yeah. And it's done in such a like, you know, it, it, it's, it's patronizing if I'm being completely honest. Like it feels very kind of like, Sometimes, you know, when he calls her a kid, I don't love it because it feels very weird to me. But what do you think? It's, I mean, I, full disclosure, I've never mm-hmm. liked Big. When I, I like, and, and to be clear, like, I actually like how the story functions over the mm-hmm. course of the show. Mm-hmm. I don't like Big. I think he is an antagonist. <laughs> and the fact that they decided to make him yes. endgame is... Yeah. Kind of a strange decision to me. Um, I mean, when you watch these episodes and then you know where it all goes, you're like, oh, no. Because, I mean, but it, it tracks. Like, he is, you know, he's wealthy. He's, I feel like he's meant to be a little older than her, although everybody's age. I mean, and I know they say their ages at some point. I, I think they, they're they supposed to start in their early to mid-30s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he feels like he's probably in his early 40s. Mm-hmm. And everything about that relationship and how it's sort of ultimately unhealthy tracks. And when, when they really dig into that, the stuff with Natasha later is so good. It is so fucking good. When she's chasing her down those stairs, it's, that is a great episode of television. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, it is a little icky and I think it's meant to be like, he's not a good guy. He is, selfish he is patronizing he is emotionally unavailable and i think that i mean he kind of just sucks i also it was funny because when i first when i was first watching this i was in my early 20s and i like could not grasp the appeal of of him like i just i didn't find him attractive i was just like what on earth like why so in an unsurprising move i was very much on like team aiden for a very long time sure um and the aiden stuff i mean the big and aiden and all of that is like so beautifully rendered and it's really well done and so yeah this is just you know it's it's just preface really like this is planting the groundwork for a really interesting story and yeah like it's it's actually again i think that this was sort of well done how she keeps he makes her act more immature than I think she would otherwise. Like she reverts to this sort of insecure sort of childish self. And I think that that's interesting. It's just, it doesn't go enough places here to be particularly worthwhile as a standalone episode. I I, I fully agree with you. I I think that it's, you know, I've said this on previous episodes, but what I, what I liked about the show, I, I would argue pretty much the first two seasons entirely, maybe even most of the third season, they allow Carrie to be a mess. I mean, yeah. physically, she's kind of messy looking. She's always kind of looking a little bit kind of bedraggled and kind of her <laughs> hair is kind of insane. Like she's just, she's kind of a mess. And 
that's why scenes like the end of this episode feel so I actually didn't I didn't mind it because there is a desperation from her on a certain level of just please let somebody put me together. Like please let somebody help me figure out who I want to be. Yes. And I think that's really interesting. Um you know, I think that to your point as well, I agree that, you know, seasons three and four in particular, where, you know, it's the Aiden big, those two seasons are when you're really seeing that push and pull and Carrie cheating on Aiden and, and with big and, and I appreciate that they make them friends that her and big are basically friends through season four and basically mm -hmm. through season five as well. Um, which I think works for them. They do have a chemistry. It's undeniable that, that they do have a yeah. chemistry. Sarah Jessica Parker and Chris Noth have chemistry. What bugs me about this scene in particular is just how annoyingly cagey he is. I mean, she says, she, she flat out asks him uh, if he cried when they broke up. And he says, no, but I listen to a lot of Sinatra. <laughs> and I'm just like, is I hate you. Well, but that's, it's, that's actually that's really good because that's yeah. him. He is so kind of corny dude guy. Totally, totally. And and there's a really interesting moment where she says in her, her voiceover, you know, mm -hmm. what she really wants to say is, I'm afraid that you aren't capable of loving me the way I want to be loved. And that is mm -hmm. so true and something that they dig into for the next, how, you know, mm -hmm. born 70, 70 episodes. The like next that. 70 episodes, yeah. Um, so again, it's, it's actually a great moment. We just don't know it yet because mm -hmm. it's not great yet. It's just yeah. laying groundwork for something that will be really it speaks, good. It, it speaks to what I was saying earlier too, about like Carrie lying to herself, right? Like this, yeah. this, this whole plot line and the VO at the end and all of it is just her being like, maybe, like, maybe he actually cares about me as much as I need him to and vice versa. Like, which I, again, I appreciate all of this, and I think that it's all good TV. Just to be clear, I don't, right. I don't, you know what I mean. It's just there is a a frustrating element to his character and mm -hmm. how sort of you know the way he's just like his like baby, like just this fucking yeah. like weird like <laughs> bullshit playfulness that he's got. And it's like who's falling for this? But anyway, yeah. Um, so at the end of every episode, I've been asking my guests who their favorite character on the show is and why. Okay. So, uh, who is your favorite character? And why? My, oh God. I mean, I feel like I'm going to regret this answer. Like, I'm sure that there's someone I'm just it. not thinking of, but I, I, you know, it, obviously I could say one of the four main women, but I, I think that I'm going to go outside of that. <laughs> I am going to say Lexi. Featherston, because or Featherstone, I don't, I, I mean, great name either way. Uh, who is the woman who falls out the window in an episode, mm -hmm. I think, called Splat, which is just a goddamn it's delight. It's so yeah. good. Um, because she is both one of the biggest caricatures on this show and possibly the most deadly accurate to real life. Like that woman fucking exists <laughs> and is. A cartoon of herself. And I always think about, I think, and I don't know if I've just conflated this in my brain or if this was like very intentional on their part, because mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't have the timelines in my head, but I always think of Lizzie Grubman, who is the woman who, so you are Canadian, so you probably weren't following all the New York gossip at this time. Oh, but God. Lizzie Grubman was a PR, PR, person PR woman okay. who 
notoriously ran some people over at a nightclub in the Hamptons. And Jesus. it was, it was unintentional. Seems like, I don't, I don't really remember the details. It was just like very big news. And it was essentially, she looks a little bit like uh, Lexi. And so <laughs> this, just this idea of this like hot mess party girl who can't kind of get with the program and the fact that they gave her such an insane end is it's it's tremendous uh it is it's i i i actually want to just unpack it a little bit because it's it's one of the best moments in the series i think in one of the best episodes of the series because um at this point in the in the series Carrie is considering moving to Paris with Petrovsky and Miranda is like, don't do that. That's, that's a bad idea. (laughs) And, um, and then she goes to this party and she sees Lexi, who, as you sort of mentioned, is this party girl that they used to party with many years ago and has not evolved outside of this sort of construct from, let's just say, probably 10 to 15 years previous. Right. And she has this speech that she gives as she's smoking out an open window where she's like, <laughs> you know, what what the fuck happened? When did everybody stop being fun? When did everybody start pairing off? Like, what the fuck happened to us being young and fun? And then she promptly falls out a window <laughs> and dies. Yes. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the episode, in one of, I think, the better scenes of the series, is Miranda and Carrie get into a legit screaming match where she's like, don't fucking go to Paris. You're living in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to highlight that is that both of them are. Like, you know, Lexi, I think is her name. Yeah. Lexi. The character's name is living in a bubble, a fantasy of her own sort of delusion that she can like live in this, you know, hamster wheel and then you have Carrie who is deluding herself into thinking that she's going to move to Paris with a guy who gives her a fucking horse-drawn carriage in the snow and like fucking Dr. Zhivago or some shit like it's all it's all nonsense don't get me started on Petrovsky like don't (laughs) even get me started but you but but it's I I think that (laughs) I think the reason you gravitate towards this character is because a Kristen Johnson is fucking great and she just like nails it but she's also a perfect encapsulation of the show yeah yeah no and and that's such a real thing you know I feel like every every friend group as you sort of start to get into your 30s and then into your 40s you know people start kind of pairing off and having children and growing up and then there are people who are sort of just adamantly clinging to that stage that sort of 20s stage and and it's it's interesting because I think that like everybody on some level you know wants to cling to their youth. And so there's something kind of profound about that. And there's something about the way that if I remember correctly, she like grabs at the curtain. (laughs) It is just extra fucking heartbreaking. And like, it's so, it's so dark and the show does not go that dark very frequently, which is I think why it's such a memorable episode. Like they, she fucking dies. Like she falls out a window and fucking dies, which also incidentally, I feel like if you, you know, lived in New York for any period of time, like at some point you were worried, like you, that, that's like a weird, real fear. Like you're always in a tall building. Like it's yeah. just frequent. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it's, it's a great cra- It's a crazy great moment. Performance. And so I think she is my favorite. It's a She's great call. Favorite. That's yeah. a great call. Thanks. Um, well, I mean, again, thank you for, for coming on. You're and welcome. With Can me. I 
As a parting shot, can I just talk for one second about when I went to see the Sex and the City movie? Because as you kind of alluded to earlier, it is it is truly terrible. And um, we all wish it didn't exist. And I just want to say that I, I went to see it, it. I was already living in L.A. And I remember mm-hmm. very specifically, I went with some friends and we went to see it at the Grove. This is the first movie, right? Or the second? I believe... I don't, I mean, they're interchangeable in my mind. I know the second one's even worse because the, sec- the only thing I remember about the second one is Lawrence of Mylabia, which is just a perfect encapsulation of what could be truly terrible about the show. But um, I think it was the first. In Abu Dhabi, nonetheless. In Abu Dhabi. I don't remember, though. It, it actually doesn't matter. It could have been either of them. I just know that we went and there were just all these groups of girlfriends there. Like, it was everybody got their their pack of friends together to go see the Sex and the City movie. And people were dressed up. People were in character. It was a whole thing. And then I just remember walking out of the movie. The only thing I can... I can compare it to in terms of a, a vibe of a group was like nine 11. Like it oh was just, God. it was grim. Like no one could even pretend oh. that that was a satisfying or good experience in any way. And it, it was that almost made it worthwhile, but like, my God, did those go off a cliff? I mean, so I, I kind of want to, let, let's talk about it for a second. Cause I do think that, you know, um, I kind of posited this on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I'm curious as to your thoughts on this as well. You know, you have written, um, you've written half hours, you've written hours, and you've written features. Mm-hmm. Um, and those formats don't really bleed well together. You know what yeah. I mean? There's a reason why this show works, and one of the reasons is because it's in 25-minute chunks where I go on a little journey that feels intimate and small and funny with these women, and then I move on. Yeah. Um, the idea of expanding that into a two and a half hour format with, a, let's be real, basically an unlimited budget doesn't yeah. do the show any favors. It's, it's, it just, it, it hurts it, right? It makes it all feel gaudy and, and stupid. And yeah. I, I wonder if it, do you think, do you agree, I guess, in that, that the transition is part of the problem? I, I do. I, I think it's not just the transition. It's that they tried to make a movie length episode of sex in the city, which I think doesn't work. I, I don't think right. they approached it with, with movie structure. Right. And I don't even know what that would have looked like because what, what do you do? Do you make it, do you make it a rom-com? That's not really what the show is. And yeah. I think that they, they sort of tried to do that, but they just didn't really know how to, how to scale it. And so they just mm-hmm. tried to scale an episode and it was like the longest, not good episode of sex in the city. I mean, it's 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 pretty clear to me, at least with the first one, because I did recently watch them both for, you know, I needed to kind of uh, refresh my memory on them. Oof. They are broken into half hour chunks. They are broken in. It's very episodic in a weird way right. um, that is that doesn't help at all. Um, I, I also just think that. Uh, they're not true to the characters, which I think is maybe the most damning thing about it. You know, it's like we invested 96 episodes into these characters. We love these characters. I quite frankly think the series did a pretty good job of resolving itself um, in an emotionally satisfying way. And then they just went like, well, fuck all that. (laughs) We got money. (laughs) Let's just do something crazy and and outlandish. And it's, it's just unfortunate. 
It is. I I also think, I mean, you know, a lot has been made in the press of the fact that the, the main actresses maybe weren't getting along great at a certain point. And I feel like you can feel that in the movies in a way that you couldn't in mm-hmm. the show. Like there's just, there's a lack of chemistry yeah. amongst them. That's like just disappoint. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work. They just don't it work doesn't. on any level. It's and it's I, a bummer. You know, I, I the question I asked on Twitter was whether or not there has been a successful transition of a television show into a movie that has the same cast that like right. actually tries to do that transition. And a lot of people like the some the the first X Files movie, for instance. And there there are examples of Firefly, which uh, Serenity. Some people really like that movie. And I'm not yeah. saying that it's not possible. I think that those are also two hour long shows that were turned into movies. And I think that as we can both attest, the world building and the sort of substantive quote unquote quality of a drama into a movie is probably an easier transition. But like this is one of those things that was just obviously a phenomenon, and they were just like, well. We got to do it, and then just like, but you you didn't, and you shouldn't have, and you yeah. hurt the show. I mean, especially just a, taking a sitcom and making it. I mean, I'm trying to even think of other examples. I mean, they they made the Entourage movie, which I did in fact watch. Um, I'm a I'm somehow an Entourage completionist, so and I don't know how that happens or who I even am anymore. Um, and that movie, but that movie was like exactly as terrible <laughs> as you think it was going to be. Like you don't go into that going like, well, this yeah. they're gonna they're gonna hit this one out of the park. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just seems like such a counterintuitive move. Although I will say, if someone made a Friends movie, I'd fucking watch it. Like I'd obviously watch that. It would be terrible, but I would that, watch the shit out of it. I mean, how would you even do that? Because it would have to be single cam, which in and of itself would be like what? Like it would melt yeah, your brain. I, to see these. No, I want to watch a two-hour multicam movie. A hundred percent. No, or can you imagine like the the weird dark version, the dark single cam person of friends? Like who would not? Someone needs. That's the next blacklisting. You're welcome, everybody. First, first one to finish it. Like, there's no way that movie's not on the blacklist. Oh, that's really funny. That I mean, yeah, there's a version of it. I, it's it's. <laughs> It's just, it is really interesting. Like the, 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 the one that people point to is like the Brady Bunch movie, but again, like that's not the same thing because it was meta and it was kind of like crawling inside itself a little bit. So it's just, it's not the same thing. Um, this is just tough. And, and listen, they both made a lot of money. So I guess they can be happy with the money that they made off of them, even if they're not particularly good films, but it's, it's a very strange moment when the movie starts. I remember seeing it in the theater as well with also a super packed audience of people that were very excited to see it. Um, and it just, it doesn't even look like the show, which kind of bothered me too. Like when we, yeah. when I was watching this episode, the one that we just talked about, like the show was kind of cheap in the beginning. Like they didn't yeah. give it a lot of money. It wasn't like, it was obviously a hit, but like HBO was still not what HBO is. Right. And I liked that it kind of was cheap. I liked that it felt small. Well, it, felt, it, it helped it feel real even when they went a little big. You know, it, Carrie, Carrie felt like the real or something approximating a real version of the, the fashionista. Yeah. It didn't feel like she was just completely costume designed. And I, I know that, um, what, oh God, what's the name of the costume designer? Because she got really famous for the show. Oh, yeah. pa- oh, pa- Patricia Fields? Is that? Correct. 
correct? Yeah. Wow. I had that information in Good my work. brain. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like, it felt, it felt real. It felt like here's a woman who spends all her fucking money on clothes and shoes. And yes, it got a little unrealistic in that sort of like, you know, friend's apartment kind of way where it was mm-hmm. a little heightened from what would be real. But yeah, it felt like real New York. It felt like real people. And, and part of that is because it wasn't the glossiest fucking thing on the planet. Yeah, it, it was kind of dirty and grimy at times, like which yeah. is what it needed to be. And and I, I don't know this. The movies felt like fanfic. They felt like fan servicing. It felt like they just were like, yeah. well, we're going to do this thing, and we're going to give people what they want. And, and I'm just like, really? You think people want Charlotte shitting herself in Mexico? Like oh, you God. you think I that like people, about that? Like Jesus. I just don't know what we're doing anymore. But anyway, yeah. I will yeah. say this though: I will a hundred percent watch a third movie. Okay, uh-huh. where. Samantha has died, and they're all they're, <laughs> here. We are. Okay, okay, Samantha has died, um, and the three of them are are you know in their like let's just say late fifties, early sixties, and it's or, or whatever. It's more about sort of like getting older and what you know what happens to your marriages if they're still married to some of these people, whatever the case might be. Like I would see a third act of these characters right. where they go where they turn a corner and they try to like dig deep into what it means to be a woman at 60, for instance. Like that sounds interesting to me. I agree. I would almost take that one step further. I want to see the golden girls version of this. I want to wait (laughs) another 10 years. I want them to have retired to Boca or something or, or, you know, no, keep them in New York. Never. I I take that back because (laughs) no, there, there's this New York phenomenon that is New York elderly lady. Mm -hmm. And she's got a, she's got one of those little wheelie carts and she's in fairway, you know, buying her groceries. And you're just like, you stuck it the fuck out. Like New York mm-hmm. seems like a truly terrible place to be a senior citizen in a lot of ways. It's just like sort of unfriendly to anybody who's not in their twenties in a lot of ways. And so that, that would be sort of interesting to me, but I'd, I'd also watch the Boca version. Um, yeah, I would, I would like to see the golden girls version of, of sex in the city a hundred percent i just uh, let me also just say this i'm not killing samantha because i don't like samantha or that i don't like kim cattrall for that matter <laughs> right. i'm doing it because it's she's made it abundantly clear she will never be in another one of these movies or another one of these right. television shows so right. i'm really just giving us an opportunity to be able to have a catalyst for whatever this uh, whatever this series might very well be but yeah or movie oh god and i want so you know what i want i want Charlotte, and now I can't even remember where the fuck is Charlotte in the in the last. She's movie. with Harry. She's with Harry. I actually, I maybe this is too many characters dying. I sort of want what I always wanted for Charlotte is for her to live out the the Ray Ann fantasy, which is um Ray. Uh, I forget the actress's name who plays Ray Ann Graff on My So Called Life. Oh sure, like, sure, sure. She is now like a duchess or something. Like she married into. Uh-huh. A semi-royal family, or some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. no, noble. I, I don't, I don't know the details. I, I, I should know this, and I don't. And this is, this is um, how I want it to be. I just want to think that she's a princess <laughs> somewhere. And uh, I always kind of wanted that for Charlotte. Like I wanted her to meet. I actually wanted her to meet her prince. That is just total wish fulfillment. But uh, yeah. But then, it, but then I, it's like that's not a fun life. So then you could, you could dig no. into that. I don't know. Yeah, 
I, I think that I mean, listen. In the second movie, she's dealing with the fact that Harry that they have a nanny who's who's hot, played by Alice Eve, and it's like talking about her boobs all the time because she never wears a bra. It's bad. Oh, God. Uh, they... So anything's better than that storyline. Yeah, I mean that was the, again speaking to like how they just undermined every good thing that they did in the show in those movies. Like Charlotte and Harry is so good, and that moment when he's not paying attention to her. She cooked the whole meal and she says, do you know how fucking lucky you are? Like that is such a good dramatic moment. It's so good. And then they just fucking ruin it with all this nonsense. They do. I mean, the show is, I mean, in every episode, there's at least one line that makes me go like, fuck like that. That's a, that's a great fucking line. And you guys dug deep on that. And it's, it's, it, it, so the show is always worthwhile. It's yeah. just the sometimes there's episodes that are weaker than ever. We should not be making movies based on TV shows. Veronica nope. Mars was another great example of this. And as I say this, mm-hmm. I realize that I am currently working on a movie based on a TV show. <laughs> and now I'm going to spiral about this. Well, but for I, I, without while. saying what it is, I'm not yeah, going to say what I, it I, is. I'm not going to say I, what it is. I promise yeah. you that I'm not going to say what it is. Okay. But this is a very different situation. It's very different, it, and it, it's yes. I, Don't I have spiral about that. I think we're we're much more in that sort of Brady Bunch territory where we're taking something and and turning it into something kind of different. For sure, it will, and also that show the show that you're that you're speaking of is is very meta. Like, there's yeah. a lot of opportunities there to do things to deconstruct it in a way that is exciting. This show is not that. So no. they kind of they really just had to transfer this to the screen because apparently people just wanted to see it on a bigger Big screen. screen. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> um, well, anyway, thank you so, so much for coming on to talk about this. Um, and we, I mean, you're going to come on again, I'm sure for something in our Patreon or something in 99 or whatever, but thank you so much for coming on. Again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.